Grace and peace. Our passage today comes out of Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read from verses 5 through 13. Will you follow along with me? And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. When I was a kid, I used to get in quarrels uh, with my siblings. And our parents uh, would ask us to repent and to say I'm sorry whenever that happened. Now, oftentimes, as I was saying I'm sorry to one of my siblings, my mom would interrupt and say, stop, 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 stop. Say it like you mean it. We often say things that we do not mean. One example of that is when people come to us and they ask us, how are you doing? We say, doing great. I would assume that half of the times that we say I'm doing great, we're actually not doing great. But we say we're doing great just because that seems like the right thing to say at the very moment. Now, uh, during this season of Lent, today is the first Sunday of Lent, we will be looking at the Lord's Prayer. Each Sunday, each Sunday in the Lenten season, we will be extracting one aspect of the Lord's Prayer, and we will be asking the question, what does this mean for us today? Uh, the Lord's Prayer is obviously the most famous prayer. It's probably the most prayed prayer in all of history. And most of the people that recite the Lord's Prayer, I assume that they're not really praying the Lord's Prayer. They're reciting, but not praying. See, it is possible to recite the Lord's Prayer and not pray the Lord's Prayer. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, are you just reciting or are you really praying the Lord's Prayer? The goal in this series is that you would learn about the Lord's Prayer in a way that when you pray it, you're not just reciting it or repeating it, but you're really praying it. Uh, Martin Luther, the German reformer, wrote this about the Lord's Prayer. He says, how many pray the Lord's Prayer several thousand times in the course of a year, and if they were to keep on doing so for a thousand years, they would not have really prayed or tasted it at all. In a word, the Lord's Prayer is the greatest martyr on earth. Everybody tortures and abuses it. A few take comfort and joy in its proper use. Wow, what a quote. He says, only a few people that pray the Lord's Prayer take joy and comfort in its use. What's the difference between those that recite the Lord's Prayer and those who actually pray it so that they take joy and comfort out of that prayer. Two things. Uh, number one, they know who they pray to. And then secondly, they know why they pray. Very simple. Very simple sermon outlined today. 
They know who they pray to. Do you know who you pray to when you're praying the Lord's Prayer? And then secondly, they know why they pray. Do you know why you pray when you pray the Lord's Prayer or any prayer as a matter of fact? Uh, First, uh, they know who they pray to. In verse 7 and 8, Jesus says this. Go back to the passage. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles. The literal translation there would be the pagans. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Who is the Lord's Prayer aimed at? Well, you would say God, and then I would follow up and ask what God Some of you would say, well, there's only one God. You know, it's the God of all the religions. And then there would be disagreement, you know, amongst those who uh, have a different opinion about who God is. You see, it gets complicated. In these verses that we just read, uh, Jesus makes the distinction here between what a true Christian prayer is and what a just uh, religious, repetitious prayer is all about. See, religious people, they believe, as Jesus says here in verse 7, that they will be heard due to eloquence, due to their performance, how good they look on the outside. He even once told a parable of a Pharisee, a religious Pharisee, and a humble man, a peasant, who prayed outside the temple. You know, one prayed really eloquently, And then the other one prayed very simply. One asked God to look at his performance as he prayed, and the other said, God, I am not even worthy to speak to you. And then Jesus asked his disciples, who do you think was heard? The answer is the one who humbled himself as he prayed, not the one who pointed to his performance as he prayed. See, a religious person When Jesus talks here about Gentiles, pagans, he's talking here about the distinction between uh, the religious prayer and the Christian prayer. He says a religious person is focusing on his performance. He believes that he will be heard on the basis of his performance because he sees God as a boss. He sees God as a ruler, as a king, as Lord. And he treats God, obviously, as a boss. How do you relate to a boss? Even a boss that you may like, maybe that boss is your friend and you guys have a good relationship, but the basis of your relationship is performance because the minute you start dropping the ball at work, even a boss that is your friend will end up firing you. But not Christians, not gospel-believing Christians, they don't approach God with that mentality that God is a boss, but they approach God as a father. Now, think about a relationship between a father and a child. Parents also care about their kids' performance. They want them to do well at school. They want them to do well at sports. They want them to succeed in life. It is our joy when our kids do well in life and they do well in school. However, if your kids drop the ball, if they don't do well at school, if they slack at school and their grades begin to drop, if for one reason or another they, you know, begin to give you trouble in life, once they come home either from school 
or uh, from being with their friends, you're not going to say, hey, by the way, tonight there's no dinner for you. I am not buying clothes for you anymore. You can't stay under my roof anymore. Because a good parent, a good father, loves unconditionally. See, the basis for those who are religious when they pray is to focus on one's performance. But a gospel-believing Christian, the basis of his relating to God, the basis by which he prays is grace because the love of the Father is unconditional. The Father will not stop providing, even if they go off the rails. See, like, think about the children that you have. You may have more than one child like I do. Let's say one of your children begins to, you know, go crazy in life. Uh, you almost center all of your affections, all of your concerns. You muster them all, and you focus on that child, not because you love that child more than the others, but because there is this unconditional love that moves towards your children, especially when they are in trouble. And that is the basis by which Christians pray. The relationship is based on grace. It is not based on performance. And so, therefore, those who approach God under that assumption that God is a father, he's not a boss, he's a father, and that the basis by which they approach their father is not based on their performance but on grace, they are transformed as they pray. In their prayer, we, we begin to experience uh, and see boldness coming forth. Who is the person that would ever dare to wake up a king asleep in the palace at 3 a.m.? Only his child. Even the spouse, sometimes when you're asleep, if your spouse asks you to wake up and turn off the lights or uh, to pick up a glass of water for them, you would say, come on, you're old enough, you have legs, why don't you do that? But if your child wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, Daddy, Mommy, I want water, you get up and you care for their needs because there is this openness and there's this boldness uh, for a child, in, the, in a child when they approach their father, when they approach their parent. They ask boldly. Uh, and, you know, my kids ask them for some really bold gifts, <laughs> sometimes gifts that we cannot afford. And we have to tell them, hey, we can't afford, but they won't stop asking. Why? Because there's that openness and there's that boldness that's present in the relationship, and they can approach us that way. Same thing with those who uh, see God as their father. Their prayers are characterized by boldness. They're always asking God for big things, to do big things, because they stand on the basis of unconditional love. They stand on the basis of grace. They know that they have adopted and they have full rights as children of God. But not only is there boldness in their prayer, but there is trust. See, they know that their father will give them what they ask or else would give him or give her what they would have asked if they knew everything that the father knows. They know that they will be taken care of one way or another. There's no anxiety there's no anxiety in their prayers. There's no, there's no anxiety in their spirituality. 
It's not characterized by performance nor by anxiety, but by boldness and trust. So let me ask you a couple questions here today. First, do you pray like a son or a daughter? Do you pray with this confidence? Do you approach God on the basis of His unconditional love for you? Or do you approach God on the basis of performance? I have spoken, I've spoken with people through my years of ministry that have come to me and says, you know, uh, this morning I didn't even pray because I know that I've done some horrible things this past week. I feel inadequate to pray. See, if that's you, you are, you're approaching God on the basis of performance, on the basis of uh, the religious principle, as a pagan. See, pagans cannot pray like Christians, but oftentimes Christians fall back to praying like pagans. So do you pray like a child or do you pray like a pagan? The people that are able to extract joy, meaning, and beauty, and life out of the Lord's Prayer are those, number one, that know who they pray to. But then secondly, they know why they pray. Number one, they go to God not to be seen by God and receive things from God, but they go to God to get God Himself. I want you to focus now on verses 5 and 6. This is what Jesus says. The very first verses that we read. He says, And, uh, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Uh, this word here is a literal translation as actors. Uh, hypocrites were actors. Uh, for, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, again, in, in a religious space, and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Underline the word seen. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And then Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, see, people that know why they pray, they pray not because God is useful to them, but because God has become beautiful to them. In these verses, uh, Jesus is, is saying, you look, uh, religious people, they pray to be seen. They pray to attract attention in order to control people's opinions of them. They do all the religious exercises in order to move themselves ahead in life. You know, one of the interesting things about the Christian life is that everything that we do in the Christian life, almost everything, I will say, in the, that we do in the Christian life can be seen, right? Uh, attending church, giving money to uh, the poor, tithing. Well, your church family peers may not know that you gave or how much you gave, but there are some people that know because they keep track of all the money that comes in. And you receive a statement at the end of the year of how much you gave. So it's known to some. How you get involved in certain ministries inside the church or missionally outside the church is visible, it's seen. 
In fact, I'm always uh, sometimes asking myself, who, is, who are the people that are really involved right now? But here's, here's, here's something that's interesting, okay? Uh, the part that is not seen is that which takes place in your private life, your prayer life, your devotional life, that which you are called to do in secret, your relationship with God. See, you cannot entrust your relationship with God to other people, not even to your pastors. That's something that you must maintain personally and individually. That part, we don't see. About you, you don't see about me. You know, like there's been a series of scandals in the Christian world in the last year, and we all see these amazing Christians perform in front of others, you know, preach unbelievable messages, lead uh, many people to faith, care for the needs of, uh, physical needs of people all throughout the world. And then something horrible is, is, is found about their lives, something that was done in secret because their private life, usually our private life is concealed. And, and because we're sinners, and the more we, uh, we begin to sustain certain sinful patterns in our life, the better we become at hiding. Jesus is saying here that the acid test to know whether your prayer is genuine, whether you understand who you're praying to, and whether you're going to God for the right reasons or not, whether you're a hypocrite or not, is your private prayer life that which almost no one knows about and can see. Only God knows about that. Well, here's a question, a question for you today. How is your prayer life? Is it vibrant? Is it constant? Is it life-giving? At the end of the day, that's what matters most. The people that go to God for the right reasons are the ones that want to get God and not things from God, not to be seen by others. There are those who are uh, the same in private as they are in public. In other words, their life has integrity. All areas are integrated. Robert Murray McShane, a uh, Scottish preacher, uh, once said, uh, you know, gave gave a very uh, important uh, quote. He said, what a man is on his knees alone before God, that he is and nothing else. Is that you? Who are you on your knees before God? They know why they pray, and that is because Uh, They don't need to be seen by others. They're not going to God to get things from God, but God himself. But also because ultimately they desire to be like God. Dutch philosopher, uh, actually Danish philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard said about prayer the following, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. He says that the reason why we pray is not to manipulate God, not to get God to serve our own will and our own agendas. But the reason why prayer has been established is to transform us, to change us, to make us look more like Jesus. Jesus, 
had a solid and strong life of prayer. We read about that in the gospel accounts. And the truth of the matter is that you become like the people that you spend the most time with. In fact, I, I, uh, I, one time I heard uh, from a business uh, talk somebody say that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. You'll see that in your life. It'll begin to change your accent even, your fashion sense. You'll begin to dress like the people that you spend a lot of time with. You'll begin to adopt some of the, the habits of, of those people because it becomes now culture to you. These values become important to you and begin to change your habits. You begin to look more and more like them. And, 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 and that is actually what happens uh, through prayer. The more you pray, the more you spend time with God, the more like Jesus you begin to look like because you are spending time with him. Spending time with Jesus. Your heart begins to pump like the heart of Jesus. That which Jesus desired most, you begin to desire as well. Because Jesus loved God and loved people intensely, that will begin to show in your life as well. And it will come out of your time with God. To the degree that you spend time with God, you begin to look like Christ. Because gospel-believing Christians, they pursue God not out of duty, but out of love. That's why they do it, because they want to spend time with their Father, because they want to look more like their Father. And that's why when Jesus begins the prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer, he starts off by saying, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Think about what hallowed means. Holy is your name. It's connected to one of the Ten Commandments, where we're told not to take the Lord's name in vain. But what does it mean to hallow God's name? See, the whole idea of a name is, is something that's very interesting. If I were to come to you and, 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 and speak the name of someone that you know, it will provoke certain feelings in you. Maybe there will be a feeling of indifference, like, oh, okay, because you don't know the person that well. Maybe there will be negative feelings because you don't like the person. <laughs> You've been hurt by the person before. And maybe there will be feelings of joy and admiration and wonder because you love the person. See, a gospel-believing Christian, somebody that knows that they have been adopted by God through Jesus Christ, that goes to God as a child, to a father, that calls God Father, Someone like that, when they hear the name of God, when they hear the name of Jesus, their heart melts. Their affections are profoundly engaged because they love their Father. Is that you? When you hear the name of God being praised and worshiped, does that melt your heart? Does that stir up your affections? Or is this just noise? 
to you. See, people who know why they pray and desire to become like their father show profound affections towards their father. Hallowed be thy name. I'm amazed at your name. I'm stunned that you would have adopted me into your family. Wow! You think about the time that you have been rescued by God, of how much you have been loved and forgiven by Him. That stirs you on the inside. And you will desire to pursue Him because you know that He has pursued you first. The difference between somebody that has a vibrant prayer life and somebody that doesn't, it's been very clear so far. They understand grace. But they don't understand grace just like as a logical construction. But grace to them is real. Is something that has come to them and that has profoundly changed them. Ultimately, a gospel-believing Christian, they hollow God's name because God's name, they know, has become their name. They believe that on the cross, Jesus exchanged His name with their name. On the cross, Jesus takes on the name of sinner, an enemy of God, and then gives us the title of sons and daughters. So that the affections that the Father has for His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, He now, because I have received the name that is Jesus, He has that same affection and that same love and that same care for me. You see, it's to the degree that you understand that God's name is now your name that you will have an increased and growing desire to run to Him because you know who you are running to. You're not going to a boss to ask for a promotion or an opportunity. You're going to a father into his arms to receive his love and his care, to get him and nothing else so that you can become more and more like him. Today, if you are listening for this message for the very first time, And you're saying to yourself today, Pastor, I want to receive that name. I want my name to be the name of God in my life. I want to experience what it means to be adopted. Well, let me tell you, there's a great opportunity for you. I want that for you too. All of us here at Crossbridge want that for you too. But you're asking yourself, well, so how do I receive that name? How can I begin to see God now as a father? That's the question, key question, only through the Son. You can only come to the Father through the Son. In order to be treated by God and seen by God, not just as a creature, but as a child, 
you need to come to Jesus in faith. Believe that he exchanged his name for your name so that you could become a child of God. If that is you today, I want to pray with you right now. First of all, I want you to let us know that today for the very first time you're praying this prayer. Leave it in the comment section. There's a link there. Connect with us. Let us know that you've prayed this prayer today with us. I really want to know. I really want to follow up with you. And then I want, you to, I want to invite you to pray. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to say one sentence, and you're going to repeat it. And then once you're done with this prayer, I'm going to tell you, your life will be transformed. You'll be born into a new person as a child of God. And you will desire to be with him. And you will desire to be like him. There will be boldness and trust in God in your life. Will you pray with me? Pray like this. Father, I sense you calling me as a child. Today, I put my life's trust and hope in Jesus, your only begotten Son. I believe that on the cross, Jesus took my name so that I could receive his name. Father, through your Spirit, allow me to live a life of a child of yours with all the boldness and the trust that comes with it. Today, I surrender my life to you to become your child. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a great thing that you have prayed this prayer with us today. Again, if you pray this prayer for the first time, let us know. We would love to connect with you. You all have a great Sunday. God bless you. And may you continue to have a blessed Lenten season.